Mountain College. For more information, call 510-527-2219. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz, and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for cover to cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the Divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys, there's your picture. Drop the This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is August the 9th, 2016. 71 years ago today, the U.S. military bombed Nagasaki, Japan. Uh, the first bomb, atomic bomb, that fell on Hiroshima. I think it was the sixth, yes. Yes, I think. Uh, Molly Ivins used to say that it was her birthday, well, the 6th of August. Uh, I guess, I guess that the second bomb was, well, <laughs> maybe they were afraid the first one wasn't, wasn't going to work, so they made the plans ahead of time. Uh, I guess the boys felt they should rub it in. That second bomb seemed to me so vicious, so needlessly cruel, hideous, vile. I was 11 at the time, 11, 12. The present emperor of Japan is exactly my age, 82. He came to the throne in 1989 when his father died. His father was Hirohito. Oh, he, uh, <laughs> he was left on the throne at the end of World War II in the interests of stability. And these men aren't nearly as stupid as they look. Um, I watched two elderly sisters, uh, on a program last night, uh, all about all about Nagasaki. They, uh, they have at last identified, at least for their own satisfaction, the body of their brother. There's a picture of that little boy beyond description. Uh, I do wish I hadn't seen it, but then they said that they were glad now to have some closure. After that, 
I changed the channel and watched Trump keep his shirt on for the first time. Yes, T.S. Eliot once wrote that the world is turned by dying men. Old dudes. Let's see, Trump is 70. Mm, but he's not dead. Not physically, anyway. <laughs> you think... You think you've hit bottom? Oh, no. There's a low below the low you know. Ah. You think you've hit bottom? Oh, no. Even Hillary said it. Back when Bernie Sanders was still running, my son Peter said that he wanted to make a bumper sticker uh, reading, yes, it's Hillary. Get used to it. I think that was it. Anyway, it's bumper sticker time, T-shirt time, buttons, yes, little buttons. Uh, I'm afraid that I think about this political circus the way I <laughs> I think about, uh, you know, a rash. It's just constantly, constantly itching. Uh, I think, uh, I think that the, uh, the, the horrors that I still have dreams about, uh, the victims of the bombs, all that stuff, uh, the little plane, fat boy, they called the plane that dropped the bomb, fat boy, uh, I tell myself that male malevolence, uh, is, uh, well, it's got to be finite, there's got to be some end. However, Trump's pathology is classic. Uh, I hope we don't have to watch another catastrophe. Will it happen here? Is it happening here? Last couple of weeks, I've spent hours just trying to study history. Yes, study history. Learn your place in time. Uh, draw lessons from history, from the past, from the evolution of thought. Yes, the history of the human heart. That's what's interesting. That's what we find in literature. Uh, the evolution of consciousness. I went back and looked at Voltaire and Rousseau. I like the 18th century. They seem to me to be as close to civilized as we're going to get. Of course, the dentists were terrible. Anyway... Went through the rights of man, social contract, Adam Smith. I am at a loss. Back when Voltaire fought the Catholic Church, that's, I'm stuck at about that stage, you know. He wanted to disabuse people of religion, superstition, he called it. Rousseau, on the other hand, he, he was, uh, he was a dude we see a lot of Rousseau's around today. He, uh, he thought of himself as an insider, and he fought the elites. Uh, he thought they were shallow. I love the confessions of Rousseau. He is such a, oh, what, uh, such a fop, such a delightful man. Uh, he adores women, as many as he can get his hands on. Uh, those two guys in the 18th century... Oh, what a party that must have been. Uh, they both died in 1778, and when the French Revolution, well, during the French Revolution it was, yeah, uh, 
Both men had died and they were in their graves uh, out in the country somewhere, respectable. And no, the, the government, the powers that be, dug them up and buried them opposite each other in the Pantheon. You know, that's the, the grandiose spot for your great men. They would have been outraged. Uh, so-called great men of history. They are always reconstructed to suit the needs of their descendants. Uh, look around. The 18th century fought over, I think, I think they fought over reason and nature. They seem to think couldn't be the same thing. Uh, the head and the heart. Uh, it's the damnedest thing about these uh, words and phrases uh, words that I learned as a child have come to mean something entirely different in my old age. I must quote you one of my favorite passages from Lewis Carroll. When I use a word, Humpty Dumpty said, in rather a scornful tone, it means just what I choose it to mean, neither more nor less. The question is, said Alice, whether you can make words mean so many different things. The question is, said Humpty Dumpty, which is to be master? That's all. Yes, <laughs> yes. Say what I mean, mean what I say. Uh, so linguistics, I guess Noam Chomsky understands that. Uh, Language, language. I think it probably gets us into more trouble than it gets us out of. Uh, it seems to me that all these, what do we call them, philosophers, public intellectuals, I think of Voltaire as the world's great uh, satirist, you know, the, the book Candide was my little Bible, you know. The innocent Candide is exposed to the horrors of the world and it just turns him into a sensible adult. Uh, <laughs> nice, nice idea. Uh, it just seems to me that if these philosophers were truly interested in ideas, uh, you know, I think, I think that they, what is it? Uh, they truly believe uh, these things. I don't, I don't think they're hypocrites so much. It's just that they are their ideas. That is to say, uh, they believe that their feelings are the, uh, what is it, the, the measure of all things. It's always all about them. Whatever it is, you know, uh, they can't get past their own, their own feeling. Uh, now, I thought that psy psychiatry, psychology had straightened all that out, but obviously human nature is absolutely immovable. Uh, you know, whether it's Donald Trump or some other proto-fascist, uh, the current crop of screwballs wish to prove themselves superior to others. Mostly that means they wish the others to submit to them. This proves their superiority, I guess. That's the, 
the notion of authoritarians, um, I guess we call those right-wingers, I used to hope that the left was better, and I still can't help thinking that, you know, maybe, (laughs) maybe they are closer to the truth, to what we call justice. Uh, If you truly believe in freedom, in liberty... Well, then you must um, you must go for universal liberty, that is, in the idea of freedom. We used to say that one-eyed cats see with the right eye and or the left eye. And we should look for cats who use both eyes, who have depth, depth vision. <laughs> Never mind. History happens. Yes, I'm looking at a poem that, uh, I don't mean to read it all, I'll just read a little bit of it. It's a famous poem by W.H. Auden about the the condition of our souls, the state of the state of the state, the state of the society, the culture. It's written on the, uh, well, I think it was the exact day that Hitler marched into Poland, September the 1st, 1939, handwriting on the wall. Here we go. <laughs> he writes, the windiest militant trash important persons shout is not so crude as our wish. What Mad Nijinsky wrote about Diaghilev is true of the normal heart. For the error bred in the bone of each woman and each man craves what it cannot have. Not universal love, but to be loved alone. Yes, I want to be the one. I want to be the king of it. (laughs) I want everyone to defer to me. Uh, Let's see one more little passage here. Uh, He writes, uh, Accurate scholarship can unearth the whole offense from Luther until now. It has driven a culture mad. Find what occurred at Linz. What huge image made a psychopathic god I and the public know... What all school children learn, those to whom evil is done, do evil in return. I guess that that's about terrorism. Uh, the what is it? The the terrorism of the weak uh, doesn't, of course, compare with the terrorism of, <laughs> of the of the state, of the big gods. Uh, nevertheless, uh, I think what he's trying to talk about, yes, he speaks of the atrocities of the moment I got up this morning and I thought, well, what is the atrocity of the day, the, the uh, horror of uh, the moment? And I think, what is it? I think we're in the same boat we've always been in. He writes, W.H. Auden writes in this poem, September the 1st, 1939, he writes, 
exiled Thucydides knew all that a speech can say about democracy and what dictators do, the elderly rubbish they talk to an apathetic grave. It's analyzed all in his book, The Enlightenment Driven Away, The Habit Forming Pain, Mismanagement, and Grief. We must suffer them all again. Yes, yes, Thucydides, uh, a philosopher in ancient Greece. Mm-hmm. Nothing new under the sun. I've always been very fond of Thucydides. Uh, well, he's not my absolute favorite, but talk about that some other day. I love Thucydides, uh, what do you call it? Uh, his... Uh, Cavalier attitude. I remember early in the game, Barack Obama described Donald Trump's style as cavalier. <laughs> that was before, was before it got so nasty. Anyway, Thucydides wrote, A wreck at sea can ruin your entire day. That's my motto from now on. A wreck at sea can ruin your entire day. One more. Um, uh, okay, one more little, <laughs> one more little, little uh, passage from W.H. Auden. He wrote, into this neutral air where blind skyscrapers use their full height to proclaim the strength of collective man. Each language pours its vain competitive excuse. But who can live for long in an euphoric dream? Out of the mirror they stare imperialism's face and the international wrong. Indeed, 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 group think. Uh, you remember after 9-11 everyone said, why do they hate us? Why do they hate us? And of course the answer is because we don't know why they hate us. Because we didn't pay attention didn't keep our uh, ear to the ground. We didn't. Uh, <laughs> we weren't aware, people. Just one more. I'll just finish one more little bit of W.H. Auden because it's so lovely, the downliness and the melancholy back in, uh, back in 1939. The first uh, verse here, uh, he describes uh, the bar, we call the dives on 52nd Street, and I have a little note here. Yes, I remember. Uh, it was understood that these were gay bars, yes, where we obsessed our private lives, and where the unmentionable odor of death offends the September night. He goes on, faces along the bar cling to their average day. The lights must never go out. The music must always play. All the conventions conspire to make this fort assume the furniture of home. Lest we should see where we are lost in a haunted wood. Children afraid of the night who have never been happy or good. Fear, yes, fear, the only thing, yes, fear of the night, uh, FDR said, 
We have nothing to fear but fear itself. <laughs> I guess, I guess I'm just an old lady, yes. Uh, be afraid. Be very afraid. Uh, I've decided that between now and November, I shall concentrate on what I care about. Uh, <laughs> like these, like these mad eagles. I'm going to talk about women. I suppose I'm talking about feminism, talking about the liberation, the liberty of, the strength of, the beauty of, not just women, but the female, the feminine principle. Goethe wrote, yes, the eternal feminine leads us on. Uh, I think I'll do that. Yes, I'll just stick, stick to the girls. Here, I'm looking at my little book, Feminism. Just for fun. Essential historical writings, Abigail Adams, dear Abigail. I wonder what she would think of Hillary Rodham Clinton, HRC. Abigail did what she could back in the 18th century. I don't know how much she read of Voltaire or Rousseau or any of those guys. Uh, she was the husband of John Adams, the second president. She was the mother of John Quincy Adams, the mother of the sixth president. <laughs> she must have learned something by then. Uh, here's what she writes. There was a TV series, by the way, with Laura Linney and Paul Giamatti. If you check out On Demand, you can find it. Terrific, terrific TV series. Uh, she writes, in 1776 to John Adams, she writes, In the new code of laws, which I suppose it will be necessary for you to make, I desire you would remember the ladies and be more generous and favorable to them than your ancestors. Do not put such unlimited power into the hands of the husbands. Remember, all men would be tyrants if they could. If particular care and attention is not paid to the ladies, we are determined to foment a rebellion and will not hold ourselves bound by any laws in which we have no voice or representation. That your sex are naturally tyrannical is a truth so thoroughly established as to admit of no dispute. But such of you as wish to be happy willingly give up the harsh tide, the harsh Tide, uh, the harsh title, pardon me, Abigail writes, yes. She says men would be happy to give up their title of master, right? Mm-hmm. I must bring Emily Bronte next week. She writes, uh, she writes using the word master, and she's pretty, pretty. Profound, mythic, in fact. Uh, she has plans. Of course, she was dead at 29, so they didn't come to much. But Abigail says that the men who wish to be happy will go for the more tender and endearing name of friend. She goes on to say, Why then not 
put it out of the power, out of the power, right, of the vicious and the lawless, to use us with cruelty, indignity, men of sense in all ages, abhor those customs which treat us only as the vassals of your sex. <laughs> John writes back, John Adams writes back to his wife Abigail in 1776. As to your extraordinary code of laws, I cannot but laugh. We have been told that our struggle has loosened the bonds of government everywhere, that children and apprentices were disobedient, that schools and colleges were grown turbulent, that Indians slighted their guardians and Negroes grew insolent to their masters. But your letter was the first intimation that another tribe, more numerous and powerful than all the rest, were grown discontented. <laughs> at least, at least he understands that uh, women are the majority uh, if they were to turn themselves into a movement, a party, or a tribe. Uh, Abigail writes back, I cannot say that I think you are very generous to the ladies. For whilst you are proclaiming peace and goodwill to men, the emancipation of all nations, you insist upon retaining an absolute power over wives. But you must remember that arbitrary power is like most other things, which are very hard and very liable to be broken, and notwithstanding all your wise laws and maxims, we have it in our power not only to free ourselves, but to subdue our masters and, without violence, throw both your natural and your legal authority at our feet. That sounds very much like a threat. Of course, she couldn't carry it out, but <laughs> she sounds like a woman who means business. Uh, I remember in the TV series, there's a lovely scene when she tells uh, John Adams that she will not have a slave in the house. Uh, Jefferson had sent for one of his daughters, Thomas Jefferson, and uh, the ship that brought her stopped off and she was supposed to stay in London, and she brought with her a little 15-year-old girl called Sally Hemings. Uh, <laughs> and Abigail Adams writes that Sally was more trouble than Polly. That's Jefferson's little girl. Uh-huh, 15 years old. Anyway, Abigail refused to house this slave, Sally Hemings, who was, of course, uh, the mother of our country. In many ways, yes, the mother of our country. Women, I think next week maybe I'll go to Mary Wollstonecraft, Vindication of the Rights of Woman, back in, uh, yes, early 18th century, 1759 to 1797, died uh, of uh, childbed fever. Indeed, uh, 
I think, yes, I think I will use a couple men. Mark Twain has some of the most remarkable pronouncements on women. I was shocked when I first read uh, what he thinks of the sexual capacity, I'll call it capacity, of woman. Off the charts, Twain, yes. I wonder, I wonder, uh, well, it's among the work works that he was not able to publish in his lifetime, but I'll bring that for sure. Uh, and my list of uh, literary women, literary saints, and political, and what is that, liberating freedom fighters uh, is so long, it's four pages here. Until next Tuesday, I suggest that you uh, cover your ass. This has been Jennifer Stone. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Greetings, friends. Bob Baldock here, wanting to let you know that KPFA's author events this fall are looking exceptionally compelling. Starting in September, we'll present Nicholas Scow, Greg Grandin, Ayesha Curry, Tracy Kidder, Amy Zyring, Chris Hedges, Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz, Ralph Nader, David Gantz with Blair Jackson, and Cleve Jones. We think they've each written terrific books. We're proud to be presenting them. We're grateful they want to appear for KPFA for you. Descriptions of each are on the KPFA website. The customary low price tickets will be available one month before each event. And yes, you heard that right. Aisha Curry.